Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Jedediah Collins, to the show. Jed is a former NFL fullback who has shifted his focus to the money vehicle, which he created for young professionals and students who want to begin understanding the language of money. Jed has an incredible athletic journey, lettering in two sports in high school, where he would eventually go on to play his collegiate football at Washington State University. In 2008, Jed would take his talents to the NFL, where he would have stops with the Eagles, Bears, and Browns before finding his home in New Orleans with the Saints for several seasons. After choosing to hang up his cleats, Jed came to realize his passion was not only to empower himself, but to empower others. Jed went on to become a certified financial planner and authored the book Money Vehicle with the goal to teach 1 million people how to use money. Use meaning understand, strategize, and be efficient with their funds. Jed currently lives in Seattle, Washington, but for the next 45 minutes, he's hanging out with us here on Checkpoint. Jed, my man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am good, brother. Man, that was quite an entrance. Love the energy. Also, always awkward to like sit and listen to all that. The only correction I would truly make is I lettered in three sports in high school. <laughs> I was a, I, I did I did shot put like as a <laughs> as a like a, a one off deal, but no, that, that was great. I appreciate it. I think as as you know, the message you are connecting with uh, people who have found their success on a field and then are transitioning their passions off of it. Those are those are people I want to continue to hear about and surround myself with. Well, I got to tell you, you know, we are excited to to check in with you. Um, this is going to be a fun 45 minutes of hearing your story, you know, back to your days in California where you were coming up. Shout out. Uh, we're going to have to go to Wikipedia. We'll update on the shot put there. Um <laughs> Then we're going to go ahead. We'll take a dive into that journey and transition into the NFL, what that looked like. And then we'll finish up with what you're currently doing now, just impacting so many people off the field. So um, we got a ton to unpack today. Dude, let's take a, a trip back down to or out to California. Um, who is Jed? Let's hear about your days growing up. When did you figure out that sports was going to be that center pillar for your early years? So I am the fourth of five children, uh, which immediately, you know, kind of embodies a little bit of my personality and kind of where I land in birth order. If you don't believe in birth order, you are definitely an only child. So uh, I look at kind of like some of my characteristics and qualities coming from that. But I also, you know, vividly remember this game my dad created in our backyard. So my, ba my family is all basketball. Uh, my dad played at Seattle U. He was drafted actually in the NBA, ABA deciding to go to law school, real dumb decision there, right? Um, <laughs> and became a lawyer, ran his own law firm. Both my brothers played Division One basketball, one at Cornell, one at Seattle University, following in my dad's footsteps. So to be the football player, I was definitely the oddity, but it's also because they're about three or four inches taller and about 30, 40 pounds lighter. At least they used to be. Now, now they're packing on the pounds, and I'm finally like, these stick guys growing up, man, they're, they're trying to get thick. <laughs> You want to go hoop now, Dad? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Bring it on. Or like brothers, like you know, they they used to just be these little point guard shooter type guys, and now they're like, all right, you could probably be a small forward. Mm -hmm. uh, so growing up, we played this game called King for a Day, and we we went to the backyard hundreds, thousands of times, and played one on one basketball between me and my two older brothers. Uh, we were one year apart, 
And, you know, they were a little older, they were a little better. And so they won the vast majority of the time. I actually remember the two days I walked off the court as king, as king for a day. What does that mean? Well, as king for the day, you get to boss the other brothers around, you know, like, hey, Scott, I'm thirsty. Go get me some water. Hey, Scott, nobody's cleaned the kennel. Go ahead and go, you know, grab the broom, go clean the kennel. All those kinds of things. And, you know, my dad would even play into it because it, it was, it was a rite of passage. And so as a young kid, you know, playing basketball in the backyard, I quickly realized I was going to have to deal with losing, with failure. I was going to have to see the the perspective of my personal journey different than, you know, wins and losses. Uh, because if I only measured it in wins and losses, I, I would be a loser every day. And so I really started to focus on what did I control going out onto that court? And more importantly, how was I going to measure my success? My success was going to be, did I get better? Not did I win? Um, Because one of those I do control, one of those I don't control. And as my mindset really started to shift, I began to be able to handle losing. Failing never, you know, doesn't really, uh, it's not a fear of mine anymore. And as I took that into high school, I got to run into possibly the greatest dilemma of any young person. I became a winner. I went into Mission Viejo High School. We won 41 games in a row. Um, I, I remember my my defensive coordinator, uh, the, the game before the week before my senior year championship said, you know, 42 and 0, 41 and 1. How do you want to go through your life? We lost. I, so I'm 41 and 1. Um, but having those two kind of pillars. I, I learned to deal with failure. I learned to control, you know, that idea of success. And then I began to win and I experienced what it was like to be a winner, what it was like to be around greatness. 41 games in a row is great. Um, and so I really began to identify myself as an athlete and to be able to see both sides of that coin. While at the same time, we were always student athletes. We were always students first. I continue to today, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, professional, or 48, I think we always need to put academics in a priority because it is a skill set that is going to transition with us anywhere in life. But yeah, definitely. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but definitely growing up, I I experienced losing and I experienced winning. Um, And I would say for life, you should be able to have a taste of both because it really helps you understand kind of the perspective of how to approach each challenge. Yeah, no, and it's a great answer. And, you know, one of the interesting things is as we've had guests on here, such as Brandy Chastain and Chucky Akobe, so much of what we talk about is the mental conditioning. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been fascinated with, you know, when did you know that you were going to be a professional athlete, whether it was mm-hmm. on the pitch or on the on the rink? And so I'm curious, I'm going to flip it back to you. As you were curating that mentality, was it always a dream of yours to, Uh, you know, play in the NFL or, you know, how did you view football early on in your journey? Uh, Growing up, I would say my dream was to play in the NBA. Got to watch, you know, the Lakers win another NBA championship. That was my dream more than playing in the NFL. Um, I also would say going to that mindset, something that I love to promote is controlling your APE, A-P-E. So three things that you can control no matter what performance, what field, what project, what challenge is your attitude, your preparation, and your effort, A-P-E. 
And so really honing in on those three qualities, uh, it allows you to, to mow your grass, to really focus on what's in your backyard and to make sure that you are going through. Um, and so it's an interesting question of like when becoming a professional athlete became not just like this far off thing that like maybe you visualized once, but like something that I was truly ambitious about. And it went from like a dream to a goal or an objective. Uh, and, and in my career, you know, I went to Washington state. I was a, a, a somewhat highly touted recruit. I was always slow in the 40 time, which, you know, critiqued me throughout my career. Apparently five flat forties aren't, aren't as sexy when you're handing out resumes. Uh, <laughs> But I looked at my time at Washington State and I said, you know, I, I've battled to get on the field, not to be a star, not to be a starter. I didn't start until my senior year. I battled to just get on the field. So it really wasn't a a, a goal of mine to say, like, I'm going to go from a, a great university, but a middle tier football program as a guy who's battling to even get playing time to the National Football League. Like, yeah, I'm more educated than that. Uh, because those those odds just didn't play into my favor. Uh, but it was my senior year when I began to start. My junior year, I started getting some playing time and, and found some success. But my senior year, I started to rise as a guy who could play. I could always play the game of football, high school, college, NFL, but I needed to be on the field. And that was my biggest hurdle was how do I get people to give me a chance? Again, five flat 40, not very sexy. A six one tight end, not very sexy. Uh, a, you know, not very quick running back, you know, who are you? What do you do? How do you get? So I went through special teams. I even learned a long snap, but I remember w- riding up in an elevator with a, a gentleman, older gentleman in the Washington state uh, training facility. And we, we get off on the same floor and he turns to me and he says, Jed, can you tell me which way coach Doba's office is? And it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, man, how does this guy do I know him? You know, like that, that like double check. And I look at his polo and he's from the chargers. And so I say, absolutely. I was actually headed that way. I'll, I'll just show you. And so we start walking. And of course, my question is like, do, do we know each other? And he's like, no, but I'm here to, because I've been watching your film. We have a position within our offense. I think you could fulfill. And, you know, I think you could have a chance to play at the next level. That was the first moment. And it wasn't myself. Like I didn't say to myself, like I could do it. Somebody else had to tell me. And that, that right there is the epitome of, of one of my biggest crutches was my confidence wasn't coming from inside. It was coming from external. And as I traveled through the NFL, as I, you know, found success my senior year, I started to realize that first step in the mindset of a professional is confidence, not cockiness. Cockiness is an external voice. Cockiness is me telling you how good I am, which is why I love when you you introduce me and tell people that I'm, I have some success in my life. But that internal confidence to be able to say, I deserve to be in that first team huddle. I deserve to be in that boardroom. I deserve to be the project leader. I need to tell myself that. I need to visualize. I need to plant those seeds and truly begin to believe that before anybody else will. And so my NFL dream became a goal, became somewhat of a reality when somebody else told me I had the skill set to do it. Um, and that's when it you know, started to pivot a little bit. I still studied for my GMAT. I was still prepared to go get my master's in accounting. Like I, it wasn't a reality. But even while I was getting cut a bunch, my brothers were like, man, 
chase it as long as you want, as long as you can, because the real world's always going to be there. Wow. No, that's really interesting. I mean, getting behind the scenes to hear the thought process of, you know, what that was like for you is really interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, you know, you were really subtle with the high school that you went to, the the success that followed you, you know, through your career there. Um, and for every great professional athlete, there's mentors and coaches along the way that stick out to help guide that journey. Um, I know you were, or I believe you were in school with Mark Sanchez um, in high school. So you were surrounded just with, with greatness. Is there anybody whether your family, coach, player that sticks out to you, that's really helped sort of guide you along this journey um, through your athletic days. So Scott, when we get Mark on the podcast, I think he'll point to me as that person for him uh, and all of his success. No, Mark was, <laughs> he was a great teammate. Uh, and truly he, yeah, we, we had a, we had a very good team, very good seasons together. Um, and I, I love that kid. Uh, but when I look at who guided me, through my, you know, when I, so I transferred high schools my freshman year. Um, we went from Santa Margarita to Mission Viejo primarily because the middle brother, Jake, uh, was behind a very good class of basketball players with my older brother, Lenny, and his teammates. And so as Jake looked at his career, he wasn't going to get a whole lot of playing time until his senior year. And so as a sophomore, as a junior, he wanted to get on the court. So he transferred to, to find success on the court. And I was kind of just the uh, the person in tow. Um, and so I, I went with him to Mission Viejo. And at Santa Margarita, I actually quit football. You know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was going to focus on my basketball career. I got hurt and, you know, rotator cuff stuff out on the football field. Long story around how coaches handled that. And, you know, my parents stepping up, protecting their son. But football was not going to be my future until I arrived at Mission Viejo when we transferred. And the head football coach's name was Bob Johnson. He had two sons who played in the NFL, Rob and Brett. Uh, Rob is a 6'6 goddess, uh, Greek god, and just friggin' uh, stud. Brett was six feet, but had twice the mindset that Rob had. And they were both just super competitive, super successful, and actually helped out with the high school teams. Uh, but when I arrived at Mission Viejo, Bob you know, it was like, hey, this 6'1", 220-pound kid thinks he's going to play basketball. Like, let me at least talk to him. And sitting in a in a meeting, we began to discuss, like, my future and what I thought and, you know, where, it was, where I was going to go for basketball and things like that. And then he ended the meeting and he, he kind of handed me a, a pair of tennis shoes and was like, what if he just came out to practice today, walked around, didn't really do anything, just checked it out? And I went down there and I saw just the tone, the camaraderie. You felt a uniqueness amongst that team. And that was truly the team that began uh, the change in Mission Viejo. We became a dominant program for about a decade in nationally, on a national scale. But Bob just sliding those shoes across and saying, just come out. Let me see. You know, you got to see it to, to believe it. And then he was the guy who, going into my junior year, going into my senior year, going into recruiting, going into making my college decision, my freshman and sophomore year at Washington State when I wasn't playing and I was thinking about leaving and going different places, he was the one I called. When I made it in the NFL, you know, same thing. Bob Johnson was the, the coach I called. He changed my life. You know, without the game of football, I have no idea where I would be. Without Bob Johnson, I have no idea where I would be. So as I look at great coaches, great mentors, one of the things that really excites me about what I'm doing today and, and playing a coach-teacher 
position is I know I will have that kind of impact on somebody. I might not know exactly who it is. Um, they might not call me and tell me such. I would challenge anyone listening. If you have had that person and you have not told them, call them and tell them. Trust me, uh, especially somebody who commits them, themselves to being a high school coach. The impact is what they are there for. Um, so having Bob Johnson in my life throughout my life really has led me and, and given me uh, advantages, but it more so has given me that mentor and given me somebody you know to where now in, throughout the rest of my career, I was always searching for more Bob Johnsons. I was very comfortable in that advisory role, and I was very fortunate to find them, but I found them because I was seeking them out from a successful relationship. So yeah, definitely uh, you know, Bob Johnson, who coached very, very long time, 30, 40 years in the high school in Orange County, found a ton of success. If you ever heard of the elite 11 quarterback camps, the top high school, he created that. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of his, uh, his fame in, in the national stage. Wow. That, and, uh, you know, just this world is so small. You probably don't know this, but the company I used to work for actually put on the Elite 11 and the Nike opening events. No. And funny enough, me and my wife met collaborating on the project for the Elite 11 event. So wow. you can't make that up. <laughs> no, that's a crazy circle. Yeah, that's awesome. Life is life is crazy. You just got to get out there, put yourself out there. Um, Jed, these stories are incredible, man. We're starting to understand sort of who you are, where that foundation's built from. Going to fast forward a little bit into your that transition from uh, Washington State now going into the NFL. Uh, the journey of a unsigned free agent is always one that I'm fascinated with. Uh -huh. People think that it's all the glitz and glamour. Uh, would love to go ahead in a condensed version, sort of tell the listeners what that was like transitioning from Washington State, bouncing around before you found your home in New Orleans and earned that first paycheck where you realized you didn't know what to do with it. So fill yeah. in that gap there and then we'll transition on. Uh, so I was uh, a receiving tight end. I actually led the nation in, in receptions my senior year as a tight end until I missed the last game and got hurt. Um, and so I was then going to have to look at the NFL, National Football League, best in the world. And could I at 6'1", 250, 5, 5 flat 40 be an NFL tight end? No. So it was made very clear, like, you're going to have to learn a new position in this H-back, fullback kind of realm, one I'd never really ever played. And so that idea, that concept of transitioning was, number one, extremely challenging from a mental perspective where you glorified and you, you put your success on getting your name in the paper, making a big play, doing all these things. I really had to put that all in the back seat to humble. My job was now to be the guy in front of the guy, the guy who set up the guy. Um, and really have that kind of offense alignment mentality and looking at one-on-one -on -one collisions as my success measurement. We can circle back to that because I think that's an extremely big point. Um, but as I looked at this, yes, I was going to have to transition. I was going to have to overcome the undrafted stigma, which is really hard because all 32 teams have already said publicly, we don't think you can play here. Um, and that was a, a, a real climb. And so as I, as I looked at you know, what I was going to need to do to develop into the the National Football League, I learned it. And it, it wasn't something I knew going out, as you mentioned, so I can run through my teams real quick. Um, Philly to Chicago to Cleveland, 
down to Arizona, back to Cleveland, uh, then to Tennessee, then to then to New Orleans, um, then to Dallas, or, De- or then to Detroit, then to Dallas. It ended up being about a dozen, and that means I got cut a dozen times, and it was extremely hard. Everybody's like, "Well, what's it like to get cut?" Imagine somebody walks in and tells you your dream is over. It's a shot to the heart. It's uh, devastating, and you really don't know what to do. You're lost. You're pissed. And then you try to challenge yourself of why did it happen? How do I get better? What can I do? And that's really where I honed in on those principles. Uh, I created a series of principles called Rookie to Veteran, where I stole one thing out of each and every one of those locker rooms. What was that eight-year safety? What was that 12-year offensive lineman? What was that 16-year quarterback or 20-year kicker? What were those guys doing that I wasn't doing that I needed to steal and adopt one of those behaviors? Um, and so that mindset shift really started to happen as I bounced around and as I learned and as I got more desperate, as you start to see that level of passion, that level of sport, you can you have to fight fire with fire. And I was not ready to be a lead blocking fullback. I actually had a coach in Cleveland um, take me up to one of those like uh, pass those uh, those padded uh sleds and i wasn't pushing it he had me put my face mask on it and just sit and hold it in a crouched position very uncomfortable but he said if you can hold this for three minutes that would be you know that's the end of our day and he walked around behind me and just talked to me and he said i don't think i honestly i'm telling you this as as your coach son is like i don't think you're ready like i don't think you can be a lead blocker i don't think you have the mindset the tenacity you have to walk out onto a field and believe you're the baddest dude out there. And he was right. He, he like my rookie year in Philadelphia, I remember vividly blocking Brian Dawkins as like a, as like a cool experience. I was blocking Brian Dawkins. This was weapon <laughs> X. This guy's amazing. And he cleaned my clock and it was that humbling. And it was that realization of like, I cannot look at the glitz and glamor. I can't see Brian Dawkins. I got to see a number I got to see an X to my O and I got to go and complete my responsibility. And then I got to do it as a fullback and I got to do it against some bad man pajamas who need to not only not want to hit me, but have to fear me. And so it, it was a really good transition. And I love that you begin that. And that's what this is all about is my physical attributes changed to some degree, but it was 90% mindset that I had to change to be able to play a position that is built on will more than skill. Ooh, and and that's it. You're a you're a crash dummy, right? Like, I mean, yeah. your single purpose in there is to just absorb the blow. And uh, you know, we're we're going to start to to talk more about the CTE, the not only the transitions professionally when you move on, but you know, what does that mean for your body, for your mind as you exit the game of sport? And so uh, let me let me correct you. Let me correct you on one thing. Please. We are not the crash dummies. We do not absorb the blow. We are the the blow giver. Like we you fear a fullback because they're coming at you. And that's when you know you've changed is you know you're both gonna feel the pain, but you believe that guy's gonna hurt more than you. And that's what gets you up because you stand up whether you 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 are in absolute misery or not. But you look them in the eye and know I'm coming back because I got another next play. I'm coming right back for you. We all know what my job is. We know what your job is. Sure, you handled the first one, 
but can you handle the next one or the 10th one? And so that was the the change was, yeah, I thought it was crash test dummy, go in. And if I could just fling my body and it was like, no, you needed to drive, you needed to move people. And to do that, you had to have the, the mindset that this was not just like, a, let me get through it. This was my measurement. Like this was the success for me. Yeah, that's a that's a punter's description of a fullback at best, right there, Jed. So apologies. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, well, cool. So, so this is interesting. You know, like I mean, the mindset is evolving on the field at this point. You're going through your journey. You find your home in New Orleans for a few years. Um, coming off that Super Bowl year, which I think is, you know, that's got to be a crazy place. I was at the parade in 09 uh, when they won it in New Orleans. And and I'm curious, I want to take a peek behind the scenes at the business side of things, right? So you're going and changing and evolving as a football player to make sure that you can meet the league um, and provide what you need. Talk to me about the business side as you're going from team to team. Are you getting paid at each stop or what is that really like as an unsigned free agent until you find your home? Great question. So I got a little bit of a signing bonus up front uh, from the Eagles to come to camp, but not enough to kick my heels up on. And then you just get paid week to week. So if you're on the roster week three, if you're on the roster week 12, you get that week's check and you take any contract in the NFL, let's say it's 10 million, 1 million or 100,000, you just divide it by 17. That's what the week to week check is. So yeah, I've sat next to guys who make a million dollars a week, which is really, really cool. Um, But I looked at it also and I said, you know, my rookie year, I went and got uh, an apartment. I thought I was going to be in Philadelphia all season. I rented or bought furniture and broke a lease, had to sell a bunch of stuff and moved to Chicago in a matter of 48 hours. Um, and so you start to really understand like, hey, this financial piece is a foreign language to me. My first big check, I got activated my rookie year in Cleveland. I got the the check for two weeks of being on the active roster. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I spent that entire check before I even opened the envelope. Now, <laughs> I, I bought an engagement ring and after 10 years of marriage, it's been a great investment, but I'll tell my wife to this day, that was a very poor financial decision, uh, but I didn't know any better and I didn't understand any other aspects or nuances of money. And so as a, I would say about 60 to 70% of the league who are, you know, minimum contract kind of guys going to bounce, everybody knows the league average is about three years So it's a churn and it's a, you know, you grab a part of your greatness and a part of being in that world and cherish it. Um, But you also got to see that the the financial lens, even a guy making minimum, let's, and it's incredible money for a 23 year old to make a half a million dollars. Let's say he made it three years. So he's at one and a half. Well, half of it's gone in taxes. So you're at 750. You live three years, so maybe you're at 450, and now you're looking at 25 and the rest of your life and saying, I have $400,000. That's amazing. But that doesn't mean I get to go just live. Like You have to have a career. You have to have a transition. And so as I was bouncing around getting cut so much, it was actually a blessing in disguise because it showed me this game's going to be over before I want it to be. The game is going to you know, provide an amazing opportunity, but if you don't capture it, I tell rookies this because I get to deliver to a lot of NFL teams. Your goal is to not be a rich rookie. Your goal is to be a wealthy veteran. There is a mindset shift in that. Rich is money today. Wealth is money for many tomorrows. 
And I really think that we need to emphasize this in not just a 24-year-old athlete, but a 24-year-old working at their job. You have an opportunity. Maybe it's not the NFL opportunity, but you still have an opportunity to set up your future and you have to prioritize that person. And it's really hard at 22 to say, hey, I'm worried about 62-year-old me, but if you aren't, nobody is. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things that I love about you, your mentality is you talk about stealing inches, right? Because inches turn into yards, yards turn into first down, first downs turn into touchdowns. I love that. And so you steal those inches on the field. I'm curious, when you were bouncing from locker room to locker room, were you able to steal any of those nuggets? Were there any players doing it the right way off the field with their money that sort of stick out to you? Or what was that culture around how guys in the league were handling the financial business side of things? And I love that. Inches is is one of the greatest principles. It is not mine, but I, I definitely use it. And as you mentioned, what it can lead to is, is your goals, your objectives. I also want to bring up that as a fullback, my success on a collision was measured in six inches. So I would try to steal an inch Monday through Saturday, that's six inches, so I could go win that six-inch battle on Sundays. I also transitioned this inches thought to finances through the concept of compound interest, the eighth wonder of the world. Everybody says, you know, you continue to have an aggregation of marginal gains, little things, little inches, and over time, you will see them compound, you will see them change your life. And so if you can take inches to your own personal finances, you will be far, far ahead of whoever else you're comparing yourself to. Um, and the earlier you can do it, the more impactful. There were some players who I got to run across, come and discuss. Um, it was really interesting because there's been a very big transition in the, the financial lens of, of professional sports. And so today, I would say the modern day athlete is much more of like an angel investor. They like this VC startup model mode. You look at the Golden State Warriors, it's like all those guys are destined to become billionaires off of the court. Look at LeBron James. And then you look at, you know, the NFL and guys are um, starting to, you know, kind of come in tow in that negotiating their own deals and taking those monies and going and investing them. And so there has been this evolution in financial education is no longer a question. It's a requirement. And as I went through, I tried to find the guys, some of the guys who had little side hustles, whether it was maximizing on their brand and image, maybe selling something kind of a fitness nutritional type thing, somebody who found a, a niche that they were very interested in, whether it was a Marcus Colston who was investing while he was playing in the off seasons. But I mean, dude bought a professional football team while he was playing. Um, and then you look at, you know, some of the, the one, one of the guys or a couple of the guys I really started to learn from, despite the ones, the veterans who knew the benefit package, which is always an interesting uh, kind of climate, but uh, was a, a long snapper who was playing for 15 years and he saw the time he had. He didn't have to be in normal meetings. He had to do all the things. So he had some spare and he was running two companies. And I remember talking to him about that, how he managed it, how he managed it financially from a time. And so you start to just steal. And what you come to realize is all of their attributes, why and how they were able to measure an investment deal, run a company, or even just handle their own personal finances were the same skills that they were using on the field, the same disciplines. And that's what you know. really you start to take away is 
if you can continually prioritize what you want most over what you want right now, financially, professionally, athletically, you will always go down the road of success. And that's really all I was aiming for as I met all these guys was, yes, can I steal one of their qualities? But more importantly, am I focused on a bigger picture here? And that's when I started to study. Interesting. And, and that transition, you know, taking those soft skills that you develop as an athlete and a professional and then transitioning them over into other areas of life is always fascinating to me. Right. Because I think there are a ton that are one to one, but it doesn't always feel that way when you hang up your cleats. And so I'm curious because you're one of the few, I think, on the earlier side of the trend that chose to hang up their cleats and weren't forced out of the league by injury or age. Um, so, so let's talk about that transition now, as you, you know, are going through that in your head and, you know, transitioning from football into your financial planner and really embarking on this new phase of Jed's life. What was that like for you behind the scenes? And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question because, um, you know, I actually wrote an article about it called the cocktail party. And I was in Detroit playing on special teams and I wasn't even the one that got hit, but a young man got knocked unconscious and strapped to a board, you know, ambulance had to come out, you know, the game was delayed about 20 minutes. And I walked to the sidelines and I looked up about 10 rows and I saw my wife and my about four month old daughter with big pink headphones on and something shattered, something cut in me that I had been reading and researching and diving into CTE and the, the impact of my brain and what all this game was risk reward. It was an amazing opportunity, but with any reward, there comes a bigger risk. And that is one of the financial principles that we come to understand. And so as I looked up and I saw my daughter, I was just like, hey, I've captured a lot of what the game's going to give me. One more year, three more years are not going to exponentially change my life. And I want to be able to walk around, remember uh, both my time in the game as well as my time with her and the rest of my family. And so I, I actually, during that game, started walking to the locker room. Like, I, I don't want to go back out on that field. I cannot go back out on that field scared. And I was scared for the first time. And not for the first time, but it was a different fear. It was a different type of fear than just, I don't want to go hit somebody. It was a, I don't want to end up on that, that, you know, stretcher type thing. And I, I sat on the sidelines and I kind of went back and forth and I actually had a friend and my wife at the game see me. And the reason I can recant it and I can, I can play back through it is because I'm a big journaler. So I write everything down. Journaling began out of fear of football. Everybody said, your brain's going to go numb. You're, you're going to stop remembering things. So I wanted to remember as much as I could. And so I started to journal. And then as I got deeper into my football career, you kind of go down the rabbit's hole of like, man, each year is, is life-changing to some degree. Um, but what I started to measure was I, I was fortunate. I am in the very, very small minority that knew which direction they were going to go after the game. This game has been my purpose, my passion, my everything for 20 years. Even when it was, I was at the peak or prime of it, I was focused on what was next. And that was partly because I got cut so much. And so each off season, I would sit and take certification and financial planning tests, exams. I would take books onto planes, onto buses, and I would study 
and guys would be like, Hey, let's go swim. You know, after our, our, you know, April workouts for sure. I'll see you guys there in two hours. I got to go study for a little while. Um, and so it was having that direction that made and allowed me to have a smoother transition than most. Now, in saying that, I wanted to transition into helping people. I loved when rookies and young guys in the locker room asked me questions. As my financial acumen grew, I realized this is not a football problem. These are not just guys in the locker rooms asking me these questions. My very highly educated brothers, one has a master's in engineering, the other has a law degree from Harvard. They asked me, the big dumb jock brother, about money. And as I dove into high schools and colleges, everybody has been looking for this one course, this financial literacy course that is going to, you know, introduce people to this language. And it wasn't out there. Where's the certification that says I have a bare minimum understanding of money? Couldn't find it. So I went the direction that every, you know, most people understands you become an advisor, go get, you know, 60 to 100 households, manage their money. You can, you know, have an impact that way. But as I was in that world for about three or four years, I began to realize my passion was going to a high school, going to a college, going to a nonprofit and teaching. And so I started to look at if I could create an avenue down that road where my passion could lead me, even though financially it didn't make sense and there wasn't really an industry as much and there wasn't as much opportunity. I took that risk and I, you know, I, I measured does fa failing make me afraid or does regret make me afraid? And ultimately it was the regret side that I said, all right, I'm not will willing to wake up in five, 10 years, have financial success, but be not unfulfilled. Um, and so I leapt and I, I chased my passion. I wrote my first book. It got great reviews. I turned that book into that online virtual course that everybody's been asking for. And not only that, the thing I've been Googling since 2008, which is a financial literacy certification, I created one. And now our mission is to ha help, you know, 15 to 25 year olds get their feet set in this language that Again, our families, our parents have never had to prioritize their personal finances like we do today. We have to. It is no longer a question. It is your responsibility to understand how to use money and what we call your money vehicle, how to learn to drive it. And, and, and this, again, is a skill set, right? And so mm -hmm. practice makes permanent. And that was one of the lessons I took from my you know, athletic days. And so for all you listeners out there, just know that we're all going through this together. What Jed has come up on the quest to go, you know, impact a million lives using this vehicle. Um, guys, we all need to be hopping on it because this is this is something that we're not taught. This was one of my biggest um, sort of gray clouds that held over my athletic career was great. I became a really good punter. I became a really good fill in the blank, but I wasn't developed holistically. Mm. And when we talk about making that transition, how do you start to do that in a more fluid, proactive way versus reactive way? Taking control, going back to the beginning of the conversation, this is an area where you can take control and now start to manage your life accordingly, regardless if you're a professional athlete, professional in the business world, fill in the blank. And so Jed, um, you know, now that you guys have moved online, would love for you to go ahead and plug where folks can one, find your book because it's an incredible read. And secondly, where can they go ahead and start consuming this information? Uh, because I want to help on the road to a million people impacted by what you're doing. 
Hey, Scott, you already are, brother, and I appreciate it. Um, so the easiest ways to get to the course uh, would be JediCollins.com or YourMoneyVehicle.com forward slash drive, as in start driving your money vehicle. Um, you can also connect with me on all social medias at Fullback of Finance. We've recently dove into TikTok, so I'm also on TikTok at Fullback of Finance. But I would challenge people on Amazon is Your Money Vehicle, the book, but I want you to actually engage with the, the visual content because that is what very few have been able to do is transition this course onto a video format. And that is what we're, we've done. We found success. We're hitting traction on high schools, colleges, companies, you know, groups across the country, which, you know, is humbling and is really, really exciting but also just speaks to how needed this message is at this moment in time. Um, and so our goal is to not teach you to be a day trader. We are not going to make you a millionaire overnight. But as Scott, you just referenced, we want to give you a holistic view of how to handle your money S with a cash management system. Sure. With banking, with taxes, with investments, with insurance, with cybersecurity. What is a Roth account? all of those questions. And so our objective is to go through the money vehicle course and have you take your first 10 steps in your own personal financial journey, because education amongst itself is a great thing, but is a mute point unless it becomes actionable. So it's sad to say financial education of the past has and will fail because it has not transitioned to actions. And so we are looking for financial empowerment. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, humbled. I am excited to see the traction starting to grow. And what's really neat about the, the moment I sit in is my mission is money. My mission is to empower people around their money. But I have to pull from, I have to utilize the skills, the behaviors I stole from the NFL, that rookie to veteran. Those are the practices you go and do to implement what you learn. And as you just said, I love the declaration between talent and skill. Talent is God-given. Talent is something you have. Skill is something you earn and learn. And so many of us look at money and say, well, they have talent. They have stuff given to them. They know. They blah, blah, blah. Just like any job in the world, 99% of it is skill. Whether you look at it and think it's a talent today, from the internal it is something that they have worked at and money is no different in today's world. I just want to be at the beginning of that journey as opposed to in the wealth management space. We were helping people at the end of that journey. Still a great profession, great career, great impact. I just had a different purpose. Amazing. And guys, just, you know, piggyback Jed's thought there. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. So the, the age of instant gratification, uh, trust the process. And I think that's one of the things that we can take from sport is that if we show up and do the repeated process and we know, you know, that we're given the hundred percent effort, we will continually push the needle one percent better in the you know in the right direction. And so um, we're going to drop all the links um, for everything that you're doing to make sure that the listeners can go ahead and have access to it. Um, Jed, as we start to wind down here, going to take a pivot from what you're doing now. Going to shift to a couple personal questions, um, you know, as we wrap up. So, so first one, you know, obviously you got to play on some really amazing NFL football teams. Uh, I'm enamored with Drew Brees. I think he's an incredible person. Is there one moment from the Superdome or on that Saints team that sticks out to you as just like a, a highlight moment? So 
that's so hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we, I, I got to be in 2011, uh, a significant part of what was at the time, the greatest offense of all time in the NFL. I got to be in or around Drew as he's broken 87,000 different records. Um, and as you travel around, you realize I got a, in humbled as a fly on the wall. I got to be in rooms I shouldn't have been in, but I got to be six feet from greatness a lot. And so I, I definitely try to take as much all from all of those. Drew, the moment that always changed with my my relationship with Drew was the day I asked him why he finished out his route his his route route tree the way he does. And you've seen it like in practices or wherever, but in walkthroughs and one-on-ones and teams and any drill, he was the first quarterback I ever saw throw the ball and then his hands, his eyes, and his feet would shift to his second, his third, his fourth, down to his check down read every single time mechanically and i asked him i said man i I played 15 years of football i've seen hundreds of quarterbacks i have never seen somebody in a in a walkthrough throw the ball and then continue through their progression like that and you'll see more and more quarterbacks do that now from drew Brees. and i asked him and he said listen in the moment in the game i don't want to be thinking about where i should be going I want my mind and my body to already be going there so then I can internalize and evaluate what is happening. That's how I beat the defense is I'm present. This is a habit. This is happening without my conscious thought. And he started to really break down and define exactly how he builds out those habits into cues, routines, and rewards. He's a big reader of personal development, and he started to look at these. And you look at a bunch of different books that have that kind of symmetric or that thought process but it was what he delivered on a daily basis. His entire day was habitual. He he programmed and he understood his preparation led to success. And so if he wanted to continue to repeatedly find that success, he was going to have to define the steps to get there. And so those moments off the field in a locker room where I asked the questions that probably everybody's like, you're not supposed to ask those questions in a locker room. <laughs> Those, that was me. I was a curious guy. Again, I'm a journaler. So I asked those questions and then they got to be the ones that changed my life. So yes, Drew Brees defining his habits and defining how his day breaks down was when I realized I was around greatness. Uh, that is so cool. I have goosebumps over here. Anytime you get a chance just to hear stories about the greats, you know, we only see what they do on Sunday, but the routine, the process, the hard work that you can't replace. I mean, there's videos of Drew hours after a walkthrough, still going through his progressions. That's mm-hmm. what makes, you know, it, it's a game of seconds and inches there that separate the good from the great. And so just really humbling to hear that experience. Um, all right, Jed, last question for you, man. This has been an incredible interview. You've knock my socks off, but uh, if you could share one thing that you've done that you would recommend our listeners do or experience in their life, what would that be and why? No doubt. I've mentioned it twice already. Begin to write, journal. I think one of the greatest skills going forward is going to be people's ability to communicate. Yes, on a virtual platform, but also amongst your team as a leader. Any of those atmospheres are going to be positively impacted by journaling. Why? And people say, well, Jed, how do you remember these stories? Or Jed, how do you talk like this? Or how do you stand? It's because I've sat in a room by myself and I've written them out. And Mark Twain, and excuse my swearing, but Mark Twain says, your first draft is shit. And it's true. 
write your train of thought, get down bullet points, do whatever you want, then go back and make it better, but get those raw emotions, those raw thoughts down. Journaling to me is, is one of the most spiritual experiences you can feel because a lot of times your subconscious, the things you don't know you're thinking and feeling take over and you go back and read something you just wrote and say, whoa, I didn't even realize I was there. I also, you get to capture moments. You know, I, I look back at my wedding day or my honeymoon. I vividly recaptured each and every moment there in my journal. So yes, pictures are great, but my stories, my experiences are irreplaceable. I would challenge any young uh, professional college student just got out on their jobs, write down what you're learning on a daily basis. When I transitioned and got into the financial space, my challenge was two things a day, 10, th 10 things a week that I learned. Whether that was, you know, control V in Excel is paste or, <laughs> you know, how to do asset allocation and to understand different sectors of the market. I wrote down what I was learning. And oddly enough, like a year or two later, when somebody came and said, hey, we need to start developing a playbook for onboarding people, I just sent them my Word document. So here's, here it is. Here's what I learned, at least. Um, so my challenge would be to definitely start to journal. Wow. And guys, success leaves clues. This human being right here is doing all things successful in life. Jed from Scott, from Check, from Checkpoint, thank you for coming on. And I'll leave you guys all with this. Life is about stealing inches. So if you don't steal something from this episode, go back and listen to it again, because I guarantee you there's nuggets that, that everyone can take from this that we can start to apply to our life. Uh, Jed, again, thanks for coming on the show. We loved your story. We're going to check back in with you here in six months to hear how your journey's going um, on the road to impacting a million. And for all you listeners, until next time, be sure to check yourself. Jed, thanks again for coming on.